my question for you this morning is, uh, is just kind of going off of this song that we just sang, that, that this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And, and the question is this, is that how do you go about praising your Savior all the day long? Like, how does that really happen in your life? How does that unfold for who you are? Because I think that there's, a, in large part, there's many of us who can feel like, like I, I go to the, to the church in order to praise my Savior all the day long, uh, at least for that hour or two um, that I, I go to service. But then beyond that, I, it's everything else is just kind of, is just regular life. Everything is just kind of the way that things go, and, that's, and, that's, and I'm rolling with the punches, and I'm just living life. But, but my question is, is that what, what requires, what is required of us? What, is, what does God want from us? And I, and, I would, and I would say that that song, that old hymn, is so accurate that there is, is a real sense in which God is asking you and he's calling you to praise him all the day long, to praise him in every facet of your life. And too often, we get out of that practice, or maybe we've never even begun, we've never even started to praise him with everything that we are. And so what we think is sometimes is that, like I said, it's at church that I'm praising him, or I, I listen to worship music in order to praise him, or occasionally I'll go do a, another thing here or there, and that's praising him. But God doesn't just want part of you. God doesn't just want your, uh, your occasional experiences with him. God doesn't just want, you know, the little bit of your life. God wants all of your life. God wants every part of you. God wants your sexuality. God, God wants uh, your work life, the way that you work. God wants to get inside of what you're doing with your finances and what you're doing uh, with your time. And God wants what's going on with, in the context of your energy. And the question is, are you praising him all the day long in not just in some areas, but in all areas of life, because that is what ultimately God desires for you, not just from you. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. Because here's the thing, is that the gospel, the story about the life of Jesus Christ, all throughout the gospels in the Bible, in the New Testament, that story, how he lived a perfect life, and then he was unjustly crucified by the foreknowledge and plan of God himself. That story should pervade every part of who we are. It, sh it should get into every nook and cranny of, of who we are. And the question is, is, is that what's true of you? Or is Christianity something that you're doing occasionally? And for those of you that have not given your life to Jesus Christ, I... I I want to encourage you or perhaps maybe even discourage you with something. I really don't want you to be discouraged, but perhaps you will be. That Christianity is not something that you do in part. Christianity is not lip service to God that just says, yeah, I guess I believe that there's a God. Christianity is a whole life commitment. It is a whole life commitment that involves every part of who we are. And so what does this look like? in our lives, it looks like something called stewardship. It looks like something called good stewardship. And good stewardship is essentially the idea that I, I received from God. I received from Him the things in my life. I received the, uh, the time in my life. I received the finances in my life, and I received the energy in my life, the energy that I, that I have to go and do things and be a part of things and be excited about things and create things, make things better. I received those things from God. They are not things that I've given to myself. They're not things that, that I created. And this is a fundamental difference between a believer and an unbeliever. An unbeliever says, look at all that my hands have created. Look at all the things that I have done. 
Look at how incredible my life is and, and the, the way that I uh, have acquired these things. And a believer, somebody who is following hard after Jesus Christ, is somebody who sits in awe and just says, God, I can't believe all the things that you've given me. Not even talking about our time, our money, or our energy, but simply looking to God and saying, I can't believe of the immense blessings that you've given me. I can't believe the, the, um, the uh, immensity of the, the good gifts that are found in the Savior, Jesus Christ. God, you are so good to me. The power of the Holy Spirit to come into my life and to animate me and, and, and bring life into me. And to give me wisdom and to give me gifts and to give me strength. This is the fundamental difference between a believer and a non-believer. And so the question is, not just uh, uh, do we have good things that we can uh, appreciate uh, God for, but what are we doing with those things that God has given to us? How are we stewarding those things. I've been thinking a lot lately about how uh, any given task expands to the time that it has been given. It is called Parkinson's law, no relation to the disease. The, the law, I believe, uh, says this, work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. Another way to say it would be this, that the amount of time that one has to perform a task is the amount of time it will take to complete the task. The task will always expand to fit the time, to fit the time. And so what that means is that if you have unlimited time, then you will use unlimited time. You will use unlimited time in everything that you do. Take, for example, my uh, kitchen island. Many of you know that I remodeled my house or have been remodeling my house. Perhaps I will perpetually be in that mode. Uh, but I, uh, many of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, I have a, a kitchen island. And uh, basically, we got the other countertops done uh, with quartz, I think. And, and, but the island was too big, and we did not want to spend that kind of money on that, and it wouldn't work for other things. And so I've, I agonized, and I agonized, uh, I mean, for months, perhaps a year, uh, over what I was going to do. I think it was a year, actually. And we put plywood on the countertop, and the kids drew on it. It looked really great. And, uh, and so we, we had this island, and I was thinking about concrete. Could I do concrete? But then I thought, what if it's, it stinks, and I don't like it? And then I'm jackhammering concrete off my countertop. Like, that's not fun. And what, what if we did this, and what if we did that? Until uh, finally... We got to this point where, where we had to get an appraisal on our home because we're trying to get out of the construction loan and into the regular loan, if you're familiar with that stuff. But in any case, uh, yeah, we had to get this appraisal. And so the appraisal, the appraiser comes in and basically says, like, that's a huge problem. They're never going to finalize your loan with this countertop this way. And so all of a sudden, I am under the gun because she just gave the appraisal. I've got to get this done, like, right now. So I've been agonizing for a year over this, and I just, I don't know what to do. And so I, I finally thought to myself, I just have to do something. I have this amount of time, and I have to get it done. And so what I did was I got some reclaimed wood from my house. My house was built in 1910, had a bunch of rough sawn timber. I put it all together. I built that thing for 50 bucks, and I had gotten quotes on it for, like, 2,000 bucks, you know, something like that. And I did it in a matter of, of two days because here's the thing. When I was under pressure, when I was under the gun, when, I finally, when a time limit had been set, I was able to get that done because I immediately realized I have to get this done right now. It has to take place. Here's the thing. In our lives on a regular basis, when, as long as we have no restrictions on how we spend our time or how we spend our money or how we spend our energy, the things that we find ourselves engaging in will ultimately spend all residual that's left over. When there's no restrictions on how much time you spend, when there's no restriction on what you do with your money, when there's no restriction on how you deal with your energy, you will always opt, most of us, some of you are really disciplined, I get it, prideful, but... Um, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't leave. But um, 
When there's no restriction on, on these things, it always expands. It's like this, like when you get a raise. I don't know if you've ever gotten a raise. If you, when you get a raise, like you're, you're kind of barely making it to the end of the month, and it's just like, man, if I just had like a couple hundred more dollars, like it'd be amazing. You get a little bump in pay, and then all of a sudden you get to the end of the next month, and you're like, man, if I just had a couple hundred more dollars, like things would be so much better. And it's because... Our use of money will always expand to how much money is available there. When you think about your energy and you think about the things that you're doing in life and you think about how you're living your life and, and what you choose, not just to put time into, but to put energy into. It doesn't matter what it is, but it, it's, it's what costs you energy. When you choose over and over again to use your energy to the outer limits that just shows there's no restriction there's no stewardship good stewardship says i'm going to utilize the things in my life in order to and and i'm going to restrict those things for the purpose of having something in reserve in order to share see a fundamental thing about christian believers is this is that believers are so thankful for what God has given them that ultimately they want to give back. They give back to God in particular ways. In some ways, it is through tithing, but it's not only through tithing. We have a number of people in this church that have a generosity budget. They have a budget that's basically like this goes into this category, and we use that to help a single mom. We use that to help people that, that we just feel like, man, we just want to help you get into that apartment. We want to help you. People did that for me and my wife uh, on a number of different occasions. It was so stinking cool to have somebody help us when things were so tight as we were starting the church and, and things like that. People were generous to us. This is a mark of, of, of Christian people. This is a mark of praising the Savior all the day long. This is a mark of what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. When you think about your time and you think about uh, what's, what's happening with your time, many of us would say, I don't have enough. I, 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 I don't have enough of, of, of time and, and I would serve or I would go mentor at the school or I would help out with this or I would go do that. Or I'd, I'd be more involved in the, the, the lives of people around me, but I just don't have enough. I just don't have enough. See, good stewardship requires that we dictate the boundaries of our expenditures. Good stewardship, you cannot have good stewardship without boundaries in your life. You cannot have good stewardship unless you have boundaries so what keeps us from that? What keeps us from boundaries? What keeps us from the, the boundaries that build good stewardship in our life? Well, it begins with the statement of, I don't have enough. I don't have enough in order to give and insert whatever that is. I don't have enough time. I, I, I don't have enough time. I have all of these things that are on my schedule. I have all of these, these uh, projects that I'm involved with. I have all of this work that's going on with my business. I have all of this stuff that's, that's taking place, all of these assignments that are due or what have you. I have all of these things. And, it, and in large part, I would not disagree with that. Like if you and I were to sit down and just say, hey, let's, let's go through a life planning exercise with you and let's talk about what it looks like to schedule your life in, in ways that help you have blocks of time and just say, this is the amount of time that's limited to that. Like, it would be hard to get your life into those blocks. It's difficult because there's so many things that are going on in our life, and, and, and we just get, get sucked in and sucked in and sucked in, and it's because we've never put restrictions on the things that are going on in our life, and so we've created these roadblocks to actually having good stewardship. And so we say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Here's another roadblock that we have when it comes to uh, having good stewardship in our life, and that is uh, fear of missing out on experiences. Why don't I limit my budget? I'm talking about me here. Why don't I limit my budget sometimes? Why do we always get to the end of the month and just say, oh, we're going to take that money out of savings that we put into savings at the beginning of the month? It was a great idea, but it comes out. 
Why does that happen? It's because I don't want to miss out on experiences. We get down to it, and then we're like, you know what? Let's just go out and have some drinks, you know, no big deal. Spend $100 or something like that, something crazy. We don't always do that, but it's, it's, it's fear of missing out on experiences. See, our generation is a generation of experiences. We're so involved in the idea of, of having an experience. And, and, and desiring to experience various things. And if I were to restrict myself in any way, then what would happen is this, is that I would, I would not be able to have experiences, and my life is built on a series of experiences. So I don't have enough. I'm going to miss out. But ultimately, what, what does it come down to sometimes? It's just flat out that we love money. We just, we love money. And money affects our time. It affects our energy. And so sometimes we pour ourselves into our work in a way that is, that is in part, it's for experience, and part of, part of it is for a paycheck. We overwork ourselves. And so as a result, what takes place is that family suffers. Being a part of the church suffers. The community, the command to be a part of community, to be a part of God's people suffers because ultimately, there's a desire for money there. Because I uh, need more money because I spent too much money on experiences. And so therefore, I've got to work more. So that takes out more of my time. And so I take out time and time and time. And then so then I come to a point where I have no time for anything. And I haven't been able to rest. And so I have no energy. And it ultimately comes down to we love money. We love experiences. And we say, I just don't have enough. I just don't have enough. Listen, here's the thing. The people who ultimately steward their resources that God has given them well, the people who steward well are people who ultimately say this. We made a decision years ago or early on that we were going to, boom. I mean, just insert something like we were going, I watched this video uh, just recently on something called Right Now Media, which I'm going to tell you about in just a minute here. But uh, I watched this video on, 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 on money and, and resources and stuff, and, and this guy was saying, we decided to cap our income at this, at this level. Because he's, he basically said, because we realized that we would just keep spending more and spending more and spending more and spending more. And so we capped our resources, and this is just like, this is crazy. Who does this? They cap their resources. They cap how much they're going to take home, and now they have a massive budget in order to help other people because they've already paid off their house and all of these things because they don't keep getting a new car and a new car and a new car. And so what happens is this, is that they have money to share. And so they go and they share with people around them. Perhaps it's family members. Perhaps it's people within the church or people within the community. It's an amazing story. Another uh, documentary I just watched on, on uh, right now was, uh, was from Hobby Lobby. And some of you may know about this story about Hobby Lobby, how they were being forced to uh, provide an abor uh, abortion-inducing drug. And ultimately, they said, this company is God's company. It's not our company. And so there, there's no way we're going against God with this. So take the company if you want. We're going to try to uh, remedy this legally. But we're not giving in. We are not going to provide this. And ultimately, we'll lose the business if we have to. And ultimately, they ended up prevailing in court, which was an amazing court decision. But they go on to talk in, in another uh, short documentary about how God has blessed them. They're a billion-dollar company, maybe a couple billion-dollar company, and how in their life what they decided to do is that they decided to give away about 50% of the profits. And so they're giving away 50% of the profits to the point where they're helping nation after nation, people group after people group, finally get the scriptures in their language. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine starting a business that is taking the word of God to the nations? Like, that's, that's phenomenal. That is absolutely phenomenal. The way that they treat their employees is amazing. The way that they offer bonuses to them is, is amazing. And what happens is this, is God has gotten a hold of their heart in such a way that they say, we are going to be about the things of God. We're going to give him our stuff. We're going to give him the stuff that he's given to us because it's not ours, is really what they were saying. 
It's an amazing thing. But we have roadblocks because of this. You cannot steward resources that you do not have control of. You cannot be a good steward of something that you are not in control of. Do you get that? You cannot be a good steward of something that you don't first have control of. As long as our lives are out of control, and I, I would agree not everybody in this room has an out-of-control life. There are people who have done really well at this, and you should help other folks here who need help with this. But when we have craziness in our life, when we do not have time for our kids to sit down and spend time with them, to show them the Word of God, to communicate to them uh, his, his word, to talk with them about what they know about Jesus. When we don't have time for that, that shows an inability to be in control. That shows poor stewardship of our time. It's a resource that God has given to us. He has given us a set amount. It is all that we have. And when we steward it poorly, we cannot be in control of it. And so therefore, we cannot utilize the resources that God has given us in order to do that. When our finances are constantly out of control, what's happening? It, it creates havoc in our home. Many of us know that many marriages end because of money. It, it, they end because of the stress that money induces on our life. Yet what would happen if we had capped what we were planning on spending, even just a little bit, even just a little bit. And we said, we're not going beyond this. We're going to steward the resources that God has given us well by being in control of the resources that he's given us. And our energy, our energy ultimately comes down to this. Our energy really dictates how we engage with God's people and how we engage with our community around us. How engaged we are with the needs of the people around us. Whether it's somebody at work, somebody at our school, somebody uh, in our neighborhood, somebody in some place where we get to be Jesus to people. And we get to communicate to them the love of Jesus Christ through the generosity that God has made available to us. And yet, what happens is this, is that it just compounds and it compounds and it compounds to the point where I don't have time because I've been going after money, and so therefore I do not have energy in order to be able to serve these people or to be a, be a part of this. You cannot control or you cannot steward resources that you do not have control of. I want you to flip with me to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I, I, we're, we're probably going to make it through uh, a lot of scripture here in the next uh, few minutes. I am not intending to go through this the way that I normally would a passage, but I want to show you a couple things um, as we're talking about stewardship today. Ultimately, good stewardship comes down to one thing. Ultimately, good stewardship is built on a foundation of one thing, and that is contentment in Christ. You cannot be a good steward if you are discontent with the things that God has given you. What this says is this, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2b, which is, begins at teach and urge these things here. It might be confusing in your translation here. First uh, uh, Timothy chapter six verse two says this: Teach and urge these things. Urge what things? Everything that he's been talking about uh, from the very beginning of the book of Timothy. But what we can surmise from this is that the apostle Paul has been telling this young pastor. He's been saying, "Teach these people these things. Teach them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it should get into their lives and how they should." understand who God is. That's what we can take from that. Verse 3 says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an, an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, 
and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, the Apostle Paul is speaking, again, about false teachers. We just got out of uh, 1 John, which is refuting false teachers. There's a theme in the scriptures, uh, especially in the epistles that are essential. The epistles are letters, uh, letters from an apostle to, uh, to somebody else, to a church or to uh, a person or something like that. And so uh, what, what he's saying here is he's saying that somebody is teaching a different doctrine. They are teaching a different kind of doctrine. And that doctrine is rooted in and, and is founded on not upon uh, our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. What they are teaching is that they are teaching, hey, just think for yourself. Just figure it out on your own. Like, you know what? You are the arbiter of truth in this life, and so you just decide for yourself, or you look to this teacher. Now, there's a lot of this going on in our world, both in a worldly sense and even in a Christian sense. You have people who claim to be Christians that I do not believe are Christians many times, who, who tell you to do wacky things, ridiculous things that do not, uh, that are not in accord with the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Now that's what happens, and that's why we find ourselves in the place where we are today. If you're here today and you say, you know what, he's right, my time, my money, my energy, it's gone, it's spent. I'm out of energy, I'm, uh, I'm out of money, and I'm out of time, and I have not been stewarding it well. Here's why. It's because you and I have been listening to a teaching that does not accord with godliness from the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to bring that back into line, and so he says this, he says that there's these people, these false teachers, who are causing this friction among people, and it sounds like our political system right now, and he says, imagine, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You can't go to God simply just to get money. There's plenty of teachers uh, on TV that will tell you that kind of crud and you shouldn't listen to it. Ultimately, it's not about gaining finances. Ultimately, it's about gaining God. It's about having Jesus central in your life. So he says this, and this is, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Uh, I say that all the time, but this one, this time I mean it. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you have godliness in your life? And is it paired with, and I would argue godliness, contentment is part of godliness, but he's accentuating it here. And he's saying it's godliness that includes contentment. It's not void of contentment. It includes contentment. Listen to the TV preachers. Are they teaching contentment in Christ alone? Or are they teaching you that you should go after this and go after that because God wants you to have this, God wants you to have that? Uh, monetary uh, value things, financial success, those kinds of things. Listen for that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We must have contentment. And here's the thing. In order to steward your finances well, you, you must not just have godliness. You must have contentment. You must be able to say, I am content. God, you have given me enough. What I have is good. I remember thinking this, if I can make myself the hero here for just a second. Uh, this, is the, this is the issue with telling stories about yourself. I drove this 1992 Chevy pickup that was really, really cool when I was 21 and wasn't so cool when I was 30, right? But I drove it all the time, and I remember thinking to myself, I do not want to get myself in debt. And I saw my buddies, and they bought all of these huge trucks, and, and they looked amazing, and the girls really liked them and all, all of that stuff. So that was tempting, but I found my wife, and I would never think about that at all. This is before I was married. I need to correct that. But in any case... Um, I would look at my friends, and they had these big trucks, and I would just say, oh, that's, that, that's so stinking cool. But I thought to myself, I know how much that payment is. 
I know how much that would cost. I know what that would do to my finances. I know how upside down I would be with this vehicle. And so I just, I began to pray. I don't know why I prayed this. I don't know why I I did not have wisdom in, in many other areas of my life. But in this one, I think I did. And that was that I just prayed, God, would you just make me happy with what you've given me? I needed, a, I needed a, a truck for, for work. It's a nice truck. I love it. And so I just began to just, as I'm driving, and maybe something was kind of frustrating me a little bit, or I saw another pickup that I liked, I would just say, God, I'm thankful for this truck. I'm thankful for what you've, you've, you've done here. And I don't know how God blessed me. I don't know what, what happened with that. But I just know this, that I, I dwelt in contentment, at least in that one area of my life. I just was content with it. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed having that, and I remember years and years, guys being like, you're still driving that thing? And I'd be like, yeah, man, it still, it still works. And so God was good to me in that way. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. It's, you can't take it with you. We've, we've heard that before. You cannot take this stuff with you. It's not going anywhere. This is a sign that basically says this. As a believer, your head is, is not necessarily right here. Your, your head is in your future, the future with Christ forever in eternity, in which all of our material blessings here and now do not come with us. What does come with us is the, is the good that we do, the crowns that we store up, with Christ, with the, the good things that we partake in. It says this in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That's completely countercultural. If you just have clothes and some food, then everything's fine. I was driving down the, 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 the road yesterday, and I thought to myself... You know, with this new cell phone business and all the laws and everything with, you know, you're not supposed to use your cell phone. And I'm like, it's so tempting, though. Like, I just want to do that. And I was like, you know what I need? You know what I need right now? I need a vehicle that connects wirelessly through Bluetooth because my 2005 vehicle does not have that feature. And so I was thinking, you know, I just need like a 2017 something or other or something like that. And then I was just like, what in the world? Like, why do I need that? Do I need a 2017 vehicle? Like, I mean, I could go to, going back and forth to work on a bicycle or a horse. That would be more fun. And, and like, it would be, you probably would expect me to take the horse option, and you're right. I, you know, physical exercise is not my favorite thing to do. But, uh, you know, uh, but in any case, uh, where was I? I? Yes, I was thinking to myself, like, I, this is something that I need. Like, I have to have this. And I, and I thought about the absurdity of buying a brand new vehicle so that I would have this feature so that I could simply talk on the phone. It, it's, it defies logic. It defies logic. This is, but if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. It does not say, but if we have food and clothing and blue, a Bluetooth stereo that will connect to our cell phone, we will be content. But if we have food and clothing and Starbucks, uh, with these we'll be content. <laughs> That was a jab at my wife. I am, I am, yeah, this is, this is not going to be a good, a good day for me later, but um, this is Starbucks water. She's going to point that out later, and she's, she's going to say, you told me to buy you water. That's great. Okay. Um, but if we have food and clothing and, I mean, here's the thing. When you have Christ, when Christ is all to you and to me, the thing that we get to say is we get to say, Lord, but I've got food and I've got clothing and everything is good. God, you have, you have given us an immense amount. It is amazing. In fact, uh, Charles Spurgeon tells this story. In fact, he tells it a few different times in all of his sermons. He's an old dead preacher, by the way. He, he, he says this. He says, I've heard of some, old good, uh, some good old woman in a cottage who had nothing but a piece of bread and a little water. And lifting up her hand, she said a blessing. What? All this? And Christ too? She's sitting there and she's, she's got a piece of bread and a glass of water. And she's saying, what? All of this? And Christ too? 
Here's the thing. When Christ is everything, when he is all, when he is the thing that you live by, he is your ethic, he's the way that you live, he's the way that you want to live, he is uh, coming out through your bones and through your life and through your time and your money and your energy and all of those things. When that happens and you really see Christ for all that he is, then what can take place is that you can say, man, if I got food and if I got some clothing, I'm good. That, my friends, is completely countercultural to what our world is telling us through every single advertisement, through everything that we see on social media, through everything that we're a part of. It is the opposite. It is completely different. He says in verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Woo! That's a lot. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Look at what that says. People who want to be rich, let's insert in that, it's not just rich with money. People who want to be rich in time, people who want to be rich in uh, money, people who want to be rich in energy, people who want to be rich in experiences, people who want to be rich in whatever it is, insert that in there. If you want to be rich, then what happens is this, is that we fall into temptation. I desire more. I want more. People who are not content but want to be rich, people who do not have this deep contentment, they fall into temptation. They get into a snare. They get into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction and divorce and lawsuits and whatever it is, debt, credit card debt. Buying too much house, buying a brand new car, driving it off the lot, losing all kinds of money as soon as you do that. No offense if you've done that recently, but it's, it's senseless. It's, it's constant. It causes this breakdown of our world, of our families, of the things that are going on. It is a root. It is not the root. Money is not the root of all evil. It is a root. A pastor used to say it's not the root of all kinds of evils uh, because it is also the root of all meals. It also provides for our daily needs, and God is gracious in giving us that. We wander away from the faith. How does that happen? When I desire more money, and so I take on more work than I should, and then I end up having to work on, um, on Saturday and, then, and, and maybe on Sunday, um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you want money if you have to work on Saturday or Sunday. I'm just saying that this is a possible scenario, that when that takes place, what happens is that we lose connection with people. I'm so busy with my work that I don't have time for community. I'm so busy with my work that I don't have time to serve or the energy to serve. I'm so busy with my work that I, don't, I, I just don't have time to be a part of these things. It's just, you know, it's just my life. It's just where, I, where I'm at. But ultimately, what it comes down to is not just that your work wanted you to do that. Yes, that happens sometimes. But here's the thing. God has created you with a brain. God has created you with a decision-making process brain that can make decisions and, and can define for yourself to create restrictions, to create boundaries that say, I do not work on whatever, Sunday. I do not work on Saturday. I do not work wh whatever it is. I am really into my work, and I will be a really dang good employee for you any other time. I will be an incredible business owner. I will be somebody who does excellent work. But this is where it stops. This is where it stops. Because I'm not all about money. I'm not all about fame and success. I don't desire to be rich in experience. I desire to be rich in Christ. 
I desire to have contentment in order to be a good steward of the things that God has given me. And so this is what he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you were made, uh, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment. What is the commandment he's talking about? He's talking about to live the gospel out, I believe. He's saying, keep the commandment. It's living the gospel. It's saying, Jesus, you are king. This is the question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you say that I am. The good confession is this, is that Jesus is king. He's king over all of your stuff. Whether you realize it or not, he's king. He's the one who's provided it for you. He's the one in control of all things. He's the one who has given all of these things to us. He says, keep the commandment, the gospel lived out, unstained and free from reproach until the, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Do you see what that's saying? Your contentment cannot be just like, okay, I'm just gonna kind of, yeah, I'm just gonna kind of go without this. No, there is there is this driving force that says, flee these things, but don't just run from them. Run to God. Run to Jesus. I mean, look at these last couple of sentences here. Sentences. He says, um, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of uh, lords, who alone has immortality, he dwells in unapproachable light. Look at what it's talking about there. Do you see what's going on? Do you see what's happening? That this is the God that you serve. This, the contentment that you have comes from that God. Comes from him. Comes from who he is. It comes from all the things that he controls. It, it is... It is com our ability to be able to be content, to put boundaries on the things that we are making expenditures on is directly related to what we believe about that God. It is dr directly related to that. Me and my wife, over and over and over again in in, throughout our, our life, as, as we have made more, we've had to, uh, not had to, but we have wanted to give more. And every time, what, the question that comes up in my mind is this, is that, like, I, I get a bump in pay, I put off giving on that bump in pay immediately. So in a sense, in my mind, what I, what I see for myself is that I'm a little bit disobedient during this time. Why am I disobedient? Because God gave me more. God gave me more, and then I just used it for myself. Instead of thanking God for more, I used it for myself. And so every time that we desire to increase our giving, the, the conversation has to be had, and I have to tell myself first, and that is that God, ultimately, you are finally and completely in charge. And ultimately, if, if I'm going to succeed, the fact that I have succeeded up until this point, that I have all this and Christ too? Like, are you kidding me? The fact that any of this has taken place is because God is sovereign. Because he is in control of all things. And so I have to revert back to just saying, Lord, I'm just praying that you would take care of us. 
I'm, I'm, I'm praying that this is more than we, than we have. This is more than it feels like we have. I feel like we, we should have done this earlier, uh, but God, here, here's, here's more. Here's more of what already belongs to you. And the thing that we get reminded of, the thing that I get reminded of when I begin to stress about finances, especially when I've given back to God, especially when I've, when I've been generous with other people, is that that is a reminder that God is in control. The, the little like, oh, do we have enough? God, listen. If I hadn't given that to you, I would have enough right now. And so here's the thing. I trust you for the remainder of what we need. Or I trust that we don't need anymore. We've just been living fat on the hog. And we just need to cut things back because we've just been way too comfortable. Which I think is a, a high likelihood for many of us. And especially myself. There's some more verses there that I don't want to go into right now, but it's talking about the, the rich in this present age. He says in verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Ah, it is so good. It is so good. Listen, you cannot steward what you are not in control of. As long as you believe that everything that you have is yours to spend as much as you want, you will always not have enough. The amount of time in the month will exceed the amount of money that you have. Or, uh, yeah. You'll, you'll be out of time. You'll be out of money. You'll be out of you'll be out of energy. I want to tell you this, that God has given us the ability to steward the things that, that we have so that we can praise him all the day long. So I want to show you a video here uh, real quick um, about THX, and we're going to wrap up here uh, pretty quickly. I'm going to show you this video, and then we'll talk for just a second. So I want to invite the band up here as, uh, as we get ready to close. A couple of things real quick. THX is coming up. THX is where we serve the community. We served 220 families last year. Our plan is to serve up to 800 this year. 
Just this last, uh, in fact, two weeks ago, uh, I, had, I had run into um, Corey Redding, who's the owner of CD Redding in Salem. And uh, we were sitting down at Ritter's um, and ended up sitting next to him uh, just recently. I ended up having a conversation with him, and, and he just said, what's exciting in, in your church? And I said, listen, what's exciting is that we just got done serving uh, for our event called THX. Um, we got in the newspaper, and it was amazing. We served more people than we ever have served. And uh, we're hoping to do maybe up to 800 families next year. And he said, hey, Matt, I want you to uh, come get in touch with me next year um, when you're going to do this. And so I said, okay, you might regret it. But uh, I, uh, I went and tracked him down and uh, sent him an email. Didn't hear from him for like a week, and then he finally got back to me. And he said, Matt, we are super excited about helping you guys. We want to bring trucks. We want to bring workers. And, and by the way, we're going to give you a check for $5,000 to start you off. That's amazing. That's super cool. Guys, we have an immense opportunity in our city. This is not just about serving these families. It is about that, but it is also about serving our city, serving alongside of the people of our city who want to serve people. We get to be Jesus to them and show them what it's like to be generous in our community. Here's another way uh, that perhaps you can help uh, make this happen. Because I want to tell you, if we got 800 names this year, right now, we'd be in trouble. We need more businesses to be involved with us. We've approached some churches. No one's been too interested in that. But obviously, CD Reading has been. Uh, we have HomeSmart, uh, Fair, Fairway Mortgage, um, Jeannie Geisinger, who's uh, from there, helps, helps out uh, making that happen. I mean, there's just a ton of uh, various people and businesses that have been helping over the years. But here's what you can do. Here's, here's a flyer. And, and I would just ask that you take this to your business, to your boss, to the owner, and just say, hey, this is an event that we do every year. Last year, we got in the Statesman Journal. They did a major article on us. Uh, we want to we serve alongside of you. We want to invite your business to come be a part of this. Bring some employees down for a couple of hours and serve one day, and then sponsor a group of families. I believe we're going to up it to about $80 per family this year. Uh, we haven't done that in a few years, and so you can, you can be a part of that. Listen, here's the thing. Uh, this is also up for us. We need to be sponsoring families as well. I want to encourage you to start thinking about that as we get closer to uh, November. Um, but guys, I'm excited about this year's THX, and I, and I hope that you are too. Let me uh, close with this. We worship here on a regular basis. We worship through uh, coming together, hearing the Word of God, uh, listening to... Um, um, the, the preaching of the word, but we also do that through worship, we do that through giving, and we do that through, um, uh, through many other ways, being a part of a community and things like that. So I want to invite you into uh, our time uh, together here th through the Lord's table to just go before the Lord and confess. Confess what is it that's on your heart that you have um, done that you need uh, that you need to confess, that you need to repent of, and then go before the Lord uh, through the Lord's table and just say, Lord, thank you for going to the cross for that sin and just revel in the gospel this morning. So let's do that together as we close the service.